Do you remember the day you found the passion that fuels your life? Or maybe the first date you had with your partner? Or how about the day your child graduated college? There was love, joy, and the hopefulness of change. Over the years, many alumni have expressed that the Our Community Listens course is life-changing in a similar way. And we know it has been infectious for many, something we know you can't just keep to yourself. So take a chance to share that experience with those in your circle by telling them about upcoming classes. Even if they live outside of a regional learning hub, we now offer a virtual OCL course. When we all learn to listen empathetically, we can be part of a caring community. Visit our website at chapmancommunities.org or follow the link in the description of this podcast. Welcome to the Listen First podcast, brought to you by the Chapman Foundation for Caring Communities. Our vision and mission is to strengthen relationships and build stronger communities through listening, leadership, care, and service to create a truly human connection. Learn and partner with us as we imagine a society in which people care about each other and listen first. Hello and welcome to the Listen First podcast. My name is Adam Salgat. With me today is Gina Wilson. Gina is an assistant professor of educational leadership at Central Michigan University. She is an alumni of Our Community Listens, and most recently, she taught her first Our Community Listens course as a facilitator. Gina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. So, so glad to be here. I am going to touch base a little bit about your experience as being a facilitator the first time and want to hear what it was like being on the other side. But our focus today is talking about you utilizing the skills as a parent. So tell me, do you remember about how long ago you went through the course? Yes, I went through the course in August of 2019. And my, I guess my driver to take the three-day course um, and dedicate that time to this curriculum was my professional capacity. At the time I was a principal, Mm -hmm. I thought it would be something, I knew it was focused on relationship building. So I thought it would be something that would be very useful for my teachers and myself to lean into. Um, to just create a better environment for our students. So touch a little bit on that because August 2019 then led into pandemic beginning March 2020. How did that work for you guys, especially once the pandemic started? Did you keep a lot of these skills in mind? Well, so yeah, everything everything I planned and intended completely got derailed with the pandemic because Mm -hmm. I originally had gone to it to be a principal in my principal role in that time, I ended up getting my new position that, I've, that I hold at CMU. So that kind of went awry. Um, while I was there being trained as a participant, I just was really overwhelmed with just the concepts and the intentionality of the curriculum, the powerful nature of it around connection and being your best self to in the relationships you have and you know honoring the fact that many of us have built intentional relationships yet here's an approach to make them even better you know knowing that that's kind of like the gosh the you know the the root of all of why we do what we do right and so um just saw so much opportunity especially in schools and now that i was transitioning to be a professor 
of aspiring school leaders, I was like, okay, I can still use this and immediately went into, I need, I need to be able to teach this. Like I need to be an expert in this curriculum specifically. Went to St. Louis where the facilitator is in March of 2020, <laughs> arrived back home on the 10th okay. of March and then bam. <laughs> Yep. we're all we're all paused right life yep. pauses thankfully the organization was very leaned into the fact that this group that had just gone through a week of intense facilitator training had created community amongst each other and were excited and energized are now in this limbo right and really leaned into trying to keep the what we had learned fresh and at the forefront um, yep. through lots of opportunities for me while having to have slowed down, which I don't slow down well, okay. I'm a pretty fast-paced person, and being so in proximity physically to my nuclear family, yep. it, that's kind of where the transition from me viewing this as an exceptional strategy for schools and school leaders transitioned into, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is going to completely change how I, how I do what I, everything I do. Everything that you do. I was going to ask that question because I was running through that timetable in my mind. You just returned home from St. Louis in a facilitator training, an intensive piece to go through. And now you're home with your family. You're home with your family uh, through the pandemic. Do you remember anything about maybe those first two to four weeks where these skills may have been really fresh on your mind and, and what it was what it was like, what you might've been doing, what you were trying to change in communication. I mean, there was a lot on our minds at that time. So I, I, I don't know if these were high on the priority, but they might've been considering no, the, absolutely. the timetable. I, yeah, it happened really quickly because of the uncertainty of the times that we were in, that in the age of my kiddos, and because we are such social beings in my family, like we are, none of us are introverts. Like we go into settings and come out more energized after we've spent time with people. We're just all very social. It's kind of our capital. It's our currency. We just enjoy, enjoy. I mean, we're the, we're the family that talks to people on the street, right? And as if, you know, we've known them for years. That's just the four of us. And so we were just the four of us. <laughs> and yeah. I knew that that was going to be different for us to not have that other human connection. And so I had kind of consciously said, Ooh, you know, this is a great opportunity to really use the reflective listening practices, especially with my kiddos, right, who, who, you know, are in this critical complex space right now, but really at an age where they get what's going on, they get how scary it is, they get what it takes to shut the world down, how serious this must be if the world is being shut down. Right. Um, so I was just really tuned into reflective listening and, you know, wanting to create space and time and to not interject my fears, right? And my uncertainties on them. So really was like, I, I will use silence, like committing. I will use silence. I will use, you know, door openers. I'm going to use affirming. I will reflect back to them, not wanting to, to impose my, any internal high sphere that I may have had, right? Because we all had our own Absolutely. kind of flavor, flavor of fear going on during the those first four weeks, yes. right? Based on our own experiences. And I wanted them to be able to have their own. So I was leaned into that, that I was like, oh, this will be good. This will be good. I'll, you know, use this practice. Same thing with my husband, you know, he really stepped up as a, as a protector, as a provider, 
you know, we're, we're completely non-traditional. Typically me and him are interchangeable, but in this realm, something pretty primal happened that he was really in a mode of protector where I think most dads kind of went there. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think it was, it was just natural for dads to feel like, let me get my chicks in the nest and let me stand guard, you know, because right. again, everything felt so uncertain. Um, so yeah, so I was just trying to be there for, for my peeps. <laughs> for the four of us um, in a really intentional way. And I knew that this new skill set I had just, you know, created some expertise around, this was my time to, to use it, right? And to really put it into to context. So as time has gone on in the last two years or so, and you've continued mm-hmm. to use some of those skills, uh, I guess one question would be is, did you notice an improvement in relationship? And I, I always ask that question and I, maybe I need to find a different word because improvement to me implies that there was potentially like a negative relationship mm-hmm. with your husband or your kids. All I'm really asking is, did you notice anything change? Did you notice a change in the relationship where maybe you felt closer or you were connected a bit differently? Yeah. And my, for me, the way I describe it, because again, I would, I would like to believe that my, I have good relationships as a default. Sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So what it was, what it seemed to me is that because I was changing how I attended to them, right. In a more intentional, direct present, right. Cause we talk about presence and voice in the curriculum, like where, how are you present? You know, how does that match what you're sharing with them? So I would say that the moments were more memorable, meaning I wasn't on autopilot when I was in our routine moments, right? So whether it was, so so my daughter is cognitively impaired, so I support her in a lot of her hygiene work, hygiene, like in general, just da- daily care, and mm-hmm. like combing, helping her comb her hair. Mm-hmm. That is a, that is something we do sometimes twice a day. She has this mane of gorgeous curly locks, so I tend to it like like a garden, always <laughs> right. making sure it has the proper oils to it. So there's yeah. a lot of time we spend around her hair. And typically it's a non-moment, right? Um, what these practices allowed me to do was to, again, center myself in that I'm a, I'm a leader in this moment. I'm in a space of connection. And so while we're in this moment, I'm going to be present, right? And what I say is going to be, you know, intentional. And I'm not going to be thinking about a thousand other things. I'm not going to be, you know, treating her as if she's just um, a mannequin. Like I'm going to attend to this as as an opportunity. So I think that's what the skills really do. It takes us, us who make the choice to be different, who, you know, to, to make that deep behavioral change, out of autopilot to where we begin to identify those routined moments as unique opportunities and as special, right? right. Um, so that's kind of what routine, especially in the pandemic when we're with each other, there's no, ru- that was the other beauty of the pandemic. There was no rushing. We weren't trying to get off to school. So when I could, co- when I was combing her hair, it wasn't, let's just get this done. Let's do the quickest hair as possible because we need to get out the door. Right. It was, how do you want your hair done? What can I help you with? Oh, let me teach you how to do that braid, right? It was very much so more um, just um, relaxed, um, which allowed me to really be intentional with the skills um, that I was doing. And I'm sure that was good practice. And even as life has ramped back up in the last, definitely the last year for everyone, you've probably been able to fall back into good practices a little easier because of the practice early on. Oh, it's completely reframed how I view 
mundane moments. Like I am of a clear understanding that it's the micro moments that matter. Gotcha. And I have a thousand of those a day with my kiddos. That's awesome. It's, yeah. it's great. It's great to hear that you're connecting with them in every moment that you possibly can. I, a, a question came to mind now I was going to wait for later, but I think it's a good space to bring it up now. Fast paced person. You called yourself a fast paced person. So is it hard for you to slow down in those micro moments? And do you have any tips for other people who would consider themselves fast paced? It, well, so I, <laughs> I'm a doer. So I'm, and I'm t- very task oriented. So if you've gone through the, um, through, well, actually I'm both. If you've gone through the OCL trading, you know, and you've gotten your disc letter, I am an I as my primary, but I'm also a C, which means I live a life of contradiction <laughs> because I'm opposing in self and they're both, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of close. And so depending on what my motivation is in that moment, I think it, it drives whether I'm in my C tendency where I'm just trying to get, and I'll use the same example of my daughter's hair, where I'm just trying to get it done right. or where I'm in my eye to where I see it as an opportunity for connection. So what I have tried to do and build the habit around is when I'm in direct, you know, moment, regardless, I try to to be more present. Right. Um, Right. right? But yeah, just really honoring the fact that when I am one-on-one with any of my people, whether it's my husband, my daughter, my son, that I'm there. Right. Right. Because you can't construct when it's going to be this very important moment of conversation. Like kiddos don't work like that. Like families, <laughs> humans don't work like that. Like we can't be like, you know, and, and yeah, on sitcom TV, it's like, you know, a very, a very special episode of, no, that's not how <laughs> life works. Like a Monday, we don't get the notice on our calendar to say, you're going to have a very special episode of your life today. Like lean into it. No, they come out of nowhere. And if you're on autopilot, sometimes you miss it. Right? Such a good, it's a very good reminder. It's a very good reminder. Yeah. You, you, and it's hard to be alert all the time, but when you're not, you might be missing out. Yeah. It's that awareness that, you know, and for me, like one of the most meaningful opportunities I have daily is that, gosh, that car ride to school. Um, that's a little less chatty because I have hazy, tired preteens <laughs> and teens in my car that aren't really like apt to be chatty, but sure, after sure. school, you know, it's just that using a, you know, door opener of, you know, tell me about your day as opposed to how was your day or going right into a very specific, like, how'd you feel about that test or, you know, very transactional kind of questions, you know, um, it's just like, share, or, you know, I'll, I'll say, share one thing that made your day happy or, you know, um, just really kind of guide them that way if they're not giving me much, but yeah, those are the, and those are the fun, the fun times. And then really tempering me at my reaction. Um, to where if they say, share something about what happened in the lunchroom, you know, th- that I don't go right into mom mode to be like, you better not have been like, if they share right. something, you better not have been in trouble, you know, and just right. instead say, oh, that sounds interesting. Tell me more about that. Right. Because you're right. in the moment and they can have an opportunity to share, you know, exactly what happened. And you can learn about how they're managing those um you know, peer pressure moments of like, all my friends are joining in on a food fight. Do I join in? Do I walk away? You know, if I would, if I would immediately interject my expectation, I may never know that they're already living my expectation. That's what I was going to say. I think I've done that a little bit with my six-year-old even. And I've realized that, yeah, she's kind of living what I would hope to at certain times, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's the big, that's it. Like, 
you can share as much words and wisdom as possible, but they're putting it into practice in those right. those spaces over and over again. And sometimes they're going to do it by the book that you gave them, right? <laughs> other times they're going to test it a little bit different and hopefully, you know, will receive a nap or, you know, may receive a natural consequence that affirms what you gave them in the first place. But if you don't allow them that, or even allow to create the space for them to share that with you, they'll have no self-reflection. You know, they won't understand that, you know, and won't be able, and you won't be able to give them a, you know, an affirmation that they are making good choices outside of you being there to guide them directly. Right. If you would, would you mm -hmm. mind talking to us a little bit about your daughter some more? You mentioned yeah, that, uh, she she's cognitively impaired. Do you mind Correct. sharing a little bit more about her? Yeah. So she is, um, she has a rare disorder called Jobert syndrome and Jobert syndrome is a pretty complex syndrome, which some, some kiddos, you know, are wheelchair bound and she is on the spectrum where it's just an impairment. So she has a little bit of physical impairments, but super, super capable, super, super um, able to do probably more than most. And so, um, yeah, with guidance. Okay. So we really, um, well, I'll say, I'll say I've really worked to um, not limit her potential, but let her kind of guide us towards it when she's ready, mm -hmm. right? It's me and her, right? She's, I'm like, it's her and I all day, all day long at different moments, you know, for our routines. Mm -hmm. And um, as she's getting older, you know, we are working to have her build um, more independence and more agency. And, you know, like we would with, with, like we do with all our kids, it's just around different things. I was yeah. going to ask, I, I grew up with a disability, a physical disability. Mm -hmm. um, my parents, as all parents protected me, yeah. you know, but might've protected me a little bit more because of my physical disability. Mm -hmm something I didn't always pick up on, but as an adult, I started to a little bit, but I'm physically capable enough that I'm completely was able to grow out from underneath their wing. But I, I look back and I think, yeah, I think they probably protected me a little bit more than other parents or gave me a little more leash or gave me a little more um, something when I needed it because of that. Uh, how's that interaction with you and your daughter? Have you noticed any type of a higher level of protection potentially than what you might consider standard, I guess. I've always tried to take her lead. I, I, I know her super well. And I've always known that when she's in situations of frustration, right, where maybe she needs a little more guidance through a frustrating task or something, um, you know, she, I know what that looks like for her, for her. Right, and right. so I'll tend to maybe stay there a little bit longer. And I've never really called it protective because we don't necessarily shelter her from hard things, okay. right? Because we really want to like build her confidence around learning. Yep. But, I, but what, and this is another lesson I learned from these skills. What I realized is that uh, I was inadvertently teaching her a different lesson in waiting for her because she had learned something that I didn't intend to teach her. So, um, so in the pandemic, because we had so much time and because she was with, with me now every day, not going to school and I was helping her with school. Um, and I thankfully had already been working from home. So my, my schedule didn't shift too much, right? So I didn't have, I, there was not a lot of adaptability for my job. It was yep. mostly just incorporating the kids into my schedule. I, um, I was like, oh good, she's gonna be home. I'm gonna have her kind of shadow me. We'll get some of the stuff done. That, and I typically do that in summer when my schedule shows down. We'll get her some, you know, some reel where she can model stuff and we'll I'll have time to um, really give her good time to learn, right? right and to build right. confidence in this. And so, um, and I think it was around her hair. 
And because again, she has this curly mane of hair, there's lots of steps to it. So I think we are working on um, her working on detangling it, right? For like the first step. So, so I was, I said, you know what? And I just tell her, unless mommy's just going to help you with your hair, but I need you to start working on the steps, right? You know, um, you're getting old enough now, you know, you have, your hands are getting stronger because she has some um, fine motor issues, right? We've got you the right tools. We've got everything now. So I need you to start like working, working your knots out for mommy, you know, because right, you don't right. even like it when mommy does it. I always heard, you know, you complain about it. So let's, let's empower you to do that. And so I explained it to her and she said, um, she said, well, I can't do that. And I like immediately added interjection to that statement and thought she was like being sassy and was like, well, I can't do that, you know? <laughs> like, and I, and so I like, kind of like, um, you know, puffed up and was like, Oh yeah. Oh yes, you can, you know, you can do this. But I thought she was just being sassy and she was like, no, no, I can't, like, I can't do that. And so then I realized that she was trying to say a different kind of can't. And so I was like, wait, wait a second. You know, I said, can you clarify, I said, clarify this for me. I said, I need more information. Like, do you mean like you can't, like you don't know how, or you can't, like you don't believe in yourself or, you know, cause that was going to kind of lead me to what my next words to her were going to be. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I can't because I won't be able to, is what she said. She said, I won't be able to. And I said, well, why wouldn't she be able to? I was like, you're, you know, a super capable girl. Like you've done this. I started pulling her data of, of, of competence out. Right. And she was just like, well, then why do you keep doing it for me? And I was like, she's like, I thought you did it for me because I couldn't do it. Okay. So exactly. I hear your pause. And that was kind of like my like, okay. Yeah. So what I hadn't realized is that um, in me waiting for her um, and maybe over waiting for her, right? Or maybe even, cause I'll give, maybe that's a motivation for it. Maybe it was even a motivation around me just wanting to get it done. Right. Busy life. Right. right. Um, I, my helpfulness <laughs> was communicating to her and I use helpfulness in quotes, um, was communicating to her that she was not able to do it um, because she's doing a direct translation of us. Right. She's learning what we think she's capable of based on what we allow her to try. And so the fact that I had never invited her to try was communicating to her that she had an inability to do. So that was a huge, like eye-opening experience. And kind of at the same time, I had read this quote that helpfulness is the funny side of control, especially when it's unsolicited help. So, and mm-hmm. yeah, so when you're being helpful without someone asking for help, you're actually controlling them, you know, in a space of control, you're there for you more than you're there for them. And so I realized that there was quite a few spaces <laughs> in my life where I was very, very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I had even like seen that behavior in my, um, in my son and he, and it was all really around my daughter. We were all very helpful to her, but I think what it was doing was really making, sending a message of, of incompetence that we truly didn't hold for her. We, you know, we just didn't want her to, to struggle. So we were all kind of like hyper leaned in, right? Whereas now, and then I, and then as I unpacked it, I unpacked the the implications of her not believing in her, right? And so I was like, oh my goodness, like we got course correct this now. And so it ended up. So I kind of shared my reflection with my husband, and 
with my son, I apologized to my daughter about it and, you know, kind of reframed uh, how I view her and her abilities, right, and her capabilities and her strengths. And so then we, I, so then it was kind of a new role in our home that whatever she wanted to try, like I was always going to give her an everyday opportunity to try. Right. And I was going to ask if she needed help um, before I did anything. So this was a really new rule. So, you know, it was like, do you need help with becoming your hair today? And she'll say, well, I'm going to try, but then you check it for me. Okay. And I was like, okay, we can do that. Right. And so then it was, and so then once I gave, once I removed myself from her business, <laughs> right. okay, got out of her life a little bit more and really gave her ownership of her routines, you know, she really, um, yeah, she really, there was a change in her. There was a shift in her and um, there was a shift in our relationship because I didn't view our interactions as transact, as tasks anymore. Right. Right. Because they weren't guaranteed. Those moments were now based on what she felt she needed. So that, that just really created a lightness um, in the family. And I think she felt more just a part of it and more just like, you know, to whereas now she makes some really big decisions for herself that I don't think she even knew she could. Right. So it's completely changed the dynamic of her in this, in this house. Thank you, first of all, for sharing that story and, and being so open about it all. It definitely kind of, it says to me that, you know, these OCL skills helped you start to realize that, you know, we talk about it as taking the control of other people's problems in, in a lot yeah. of our work settings, but as parents, we're doing, we can do that too. You know, if, if we're not careful, we could create, um, you know, I think a term that you might've used in the past. I know I heard Mickey Gibbs use it before is learned helplessness, right? Absolutely. And we're, and as parents, we're trying to, to not do that. It's hard. It's, I think it's going to be very hard for me because as, a, as my kids are even getting older as six and older, I I'm trying to encourage them, but I feel like I also, at the same time, am doing, doing things for them. So it's like a, it's a balance, right? Yeah. I think our busy schedule really creates the environment of parents doing more for their kids because it takes time for yeah. kiddos to do things on their own. Um, right. Because even, even the most proficient kiddo, it's slower, right. Okay. Um, it's, it, you know, there may be some more verbal guidance we need to need. So, so in our fast paced world where we're all scheduled, you know, back to back to back, you know, so, and our kids have just as busy a schedule as the adults have these days. Um, it's hard to create that space and place for them to learn. Right. And so for us, the pandemic was a, um, was an, a wake up call and an opportunity to know that in order for her to do and to live up to her potential, we needed to create time for her mm -hmm. um, to be able to do that. Right. Um, and to, so that she could feel confident in her own skills and her abilities to do things, hard things, easy things, daily things, you know, and I think, I think that's not just a lesson with my daughter who's cognitively impaired, because I know there was some areas my son was translating the same thing. It was at higher level, right? It was organization for his calendar. It was stuff that, you know, but it was still because I was so inserted in it that he didn't view it. He didn't, it wasn't detached from me. He couldn't take ownership of it because right. it was right. You know, and sometimes those are the only moments we're spending with our kiddos. So they don't want to give them up. Right. Whereas if we created, if, if every moment was a moment of connection, then they, um, you know, then every moment with us, whether it's doing something, you know, very rote or routine wouldn't be viewed as, um, you know, their time with us. So, yeah. 
So uh, yeah, those are just big lessons on how, you know, when you view yourself as a leader of your home, just like you view it as a leader of your organization, you know, and really wanting to empower, you know, staff and employees to to be those agents of change and leaders within an organization, you know, it's no different. It's not, it's not a different thought process with your kiddos, um, you know, in your home. And that, that's a, that's a form of caring for them too. Right. You know, is is empowering them. I know you mentioned um, when the pandemic first started, one of the biggest skills you tried to focus on was reflective listening and, and maybe silence and just opportunity to let them express what might be going on in their heads and, and everything. As time's gone on, obviously that one would be a would be a great skill to continue to use. So if it is one of your favorite, uh, you know, you're welcome to speak on it some more. But I'm curious, uh, is there are there any other skills or uh, another skill that comes to mind that you use you try to use often with your children? Um, well, a new one for me is because again they're getting older. Is the three choices when it comes to conflict because um, they we allow them to have a voice. Um, they can tell us when something we've done is um, upsetting to them. We've tried to create tried to create open channels to that. They can, um, you know, there was a moment with my son where he was reconciling a decision, and I thought I was just leading him in a very generic way through a decision-making process, and he called me to task for manipulating my words to where he was clear what decision I wanted him to make, which didn't allow him to make the decision on his own. Um, you know, and, uh, and that was him bringing me a problem, right? If we're looking at the effective confrontation, um, strategies, you know, he brought me a problem and I had to choose in that moment, you know, whether I was going to, um, agree to change for him, you know, and of course I did because that wasn't what I, you know, what my intended outcome was. I mean, because if, because it was false, right? It was a disconnect. So I was telling him I wanted him to start making his own choices so he could understand consequences and, you know, become a great decision maker um, without my, without my presence there, without my voice there as he's growing older. But yet I wasn't allowing him to do that, you know, through, you know, what I didn't even realize I was doing. Right. Um, and, and he said, you should have just told me, you know, what you wanted me to do. <laughs> right. And he pretty much said, it would have been more honest. Just tell me what you want me to do. Like, but don't right. pretend where I'm actually have a, have a say in this which, you know, so yeah, so I, you know, agreeing to change. So, so again, trying to, because not, because people in my household don't know um, those self strategies, like my son doesn't know how to construct a, con, you know, a confrontation message. Right. He didn't construct a confrontation message, but sh- he sure enough was asking me to change my behavior. Right. So even though, you know, um, I, I mean, I truly just try to use all of the concepts as, you know, as, as of the opportunities arise. Right, I was going to say, as needed, right? Um, for me to be more connected. So again, that one was, he was he was asking me to choose, you know, um, to change my behavior and, and I was willing to do that. And so, and I have now given him permission to say, if I go back to a bad, I'm breaking a habit, I go back to it, please just do what you did before and kindly tell me I'm doing it again, right? right. And I'll know exactly what that means and I'll go back to what I agreed to, right? And what I wanted in the first place. Right, so, and I think that shows in my mind, that you're human, just like he is, that he's going to make mistakes, you're going to make mistakes. And that's okay, we can talk about that. And we can, we can continue to strive to make a change and be better. Absolutely. And it's all for their betterment, right? Because um, if I, as I transparently, and very visibly apologize for a choice that I made that I thought was the best that maybe wasn't best for them. And as I seek information from them, to make a better choice the next time, 
right. but also give the openness that that's an iterative process, right? That we teach each other in relationships as we change and grow. Yep. So that's where, I mean, for me as a, as a, for me, these OCL skills are adaptable like that. As I learn and grow, the skills and the techniques and the understanding stay static. Um, so at least I have some kind of permanence. <laughs> the foundation. <laughs> As yeah. the, what I'm hearing is foundation, right? You've got these building blocks of foundation that you can stand on. The exterior of the house, you know, the siding may change as time goes on, but the foundation is the same. Absolutely, absolutely. So this, and that, yeah, and so then I become more reliable as a person who's in relationship with others, right? Because right. I can change, you know, viewpoints can change, perspectives can change, whatever. I can learn and grow, but by strategies on how I approach our relationship remains safe and consistent. So as we wrap up our conversation today, Gina, I always like to ask our guests to give me a key takeaway. Uh, so give to uh, provide our listeners with something to think about, maybe a practice that you want to encourage them to, to go towards, or, or maybe just something to keep in mind next time they're communicating with family, communicating with kids. I would just say, I, th I think where this kind of trajectory all started was around presence and voice and understanding that in your homes and in your buildings, um, if on the, if in the micro moments that are seemingly unimportant and just passing, you really intentionally create presence, right, in those moments and really do the communication cycle and reflective, especially the reflective listening skills, the attention, right, the intentional attention, um, that is a great starting point, which then opens up opportunities impossible opportunities to resolve, right? And correct and to, and to go deeper. So, um, and those are easy because we, you know, it's, it's, those are, I mean, micro moments happen all the time, but really viewing, reframing those as, as key moments and not just, you know, as nanoseconds of, you know, opportunities. They're, they're really, they're really key moments that built up when done intentionally, they, they're the ones that construct the relationship. So move them from potential insignificant to significant opportunities. That's kind Absolutely. of what I'm hearing. Yeah, thank you for reframing that. Yeah, but that's what it is because they're they're the significant ones that create those those deep filled relationships. Awesome. Well, Gina, if there's anything else you'd like to add, I'll give you the opportunity. I think I think I've said plenty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, I think you, I'm good. You have shared and you've been very open, and I'm very thankful for that. Congratulations on your step towards finally becoming a facilitator. You you did complete your first class last week. Congratulations. I did. Thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on maybe through another lens sometime because I know you're Absolutely. multifaceted. Absolutely. Yeah, this, this is my favorite lens. So thanks for giving me time. It is mine too. It's where the, the skills consistently come into play for me that I'm always trying to be better for those that are most important. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Okay, thanks.